everyone, and welcome to the New Visionary Podcast, a podcast for artists who are ready to reach greater heights in their art careers. I'm your host, Victoria J. Fry, founder of Visionary Art Collective and New Visionary Magazine. Join me for inspiring conversations with some of the most inspirational visionaries in today's art world. Let's jump in. Welcome back, everyone. We're here today with Jessica Labor, a Philadelphia-based visual artist, curator, and founder of the Visionary Artist Salon. I am so happy to be chatting with Jessica today, and I'm looking forward to sharing her journey with you. Welcome, Jessica. Hello, Victoria. I'm so excited to be here. I just, I love your podcast, and I love just like being in your aura. And um, yeah, I'm just so excited to be here. Oh, thank you. I feel the same. You always have such great positive energy. And I just can't wait to learn more about your journey. I mean, we've connected a few times now over social media. And, you know, it was so kind of you to invite me to be on your podcast, which was actually one of the first that I had ever done. And so it was wonderful. But I, I'm excited to just kind of highlight your amazing work today and for our listeners to learn more about you. So, I mean, you are doing so much you know, as I said, like I follow you on on social media, I see so many updates, but we're going to start just by kind of diving into your creative journey as an artist. And then we'll chat about all the other great things you're working on. So tell us about your journey. How, how did it start for you? Yeah. I always knew I wanted to be an artist ever since it's like one of my earliest memories is like just uh, drawing when I was like really little, like only a couple of years old. And I, I knew I wanted to be an artist as soon as I knew that that was a thing, I was like, oh, this is what I'm doing. Like, this is, there's no question here. And that's taken a lot of different forms over the years. Like growing up, I wanted to be like a book illustrator, um, like a children's book illustrator, um, because I think that's just what I was exposed to as a child. I was like, oh, well, artists do this. Um, But as I got older, I saw that, you know, there were other things that you could do as well. Like you could create these like amazing paintings that would like hang in museums and hang in people's homes. And you could, you could be a collected artist. And that really, really appealed to me as well. Um, and that kind of took over the desire to be an illustrator. Um, because I guess I liked the idea of it being a one of a kind object that you put your heart and soul into, and there's only one of them. And I don't know. It's kind of magical in that way. It's kind of like you're not able to reproduce like one painting. It's it, there's only one of a kind. So I I really dove into that, um, and I went for college to the Pennsylvania Academy of the Fine Arts, um, which was in Philadelphia, and I got my Master of Fine Arts degree there. And but I also like around that time. I studied at the Florence Academy of Art during summers, and I learned a lot of classical training there. And then I also studied at the Grand Central Atelier for about two years. I would go up there on weekends and I would learn like classical methods there as well. Um, So drawing and painting um, in the French academic method. And it was very, very rigorous. I learned a lot about color theory and value and I made a lot of really wonderful friends and connections up there as well. Also, it was a lot easier to get to than Italy from Philadelphia. So uh, yeah, it was a really wonderful time. It was very intense, like a couple of years of study. Yeah, I came out of that in 
Well, I graduated from my MFA in 2014. I continued studying at the Grand Central Atelier until I believe it was 2017. And then um, I decided to just take a break from learning from anybody and just focus on my own work uh, because I think that there can be real value in just listening to yourself. Like you can, you can take so many different classes and so listen to so many different things, see so many things, but you also have to listen to your own inner voice as well. So that's what I did. Um, the only exception was I did take this, um, I took this class studio apprenticeship. I don't know if you would call it an apprenticeship. It was a class, but it was like, there was only five of us in it and it was over Zoom during COVID. It was with Brad Kunkel, who's like my favorite artist ever. Um, I just love his work so much. And um, I learned so much from that about like the business of art and also some technical things about um, gilding and um, using oil paint with gilding, which is something that I do. Um, so that, that's basically my training um, that I've, I've been through as an artist. It's just so wonderful to hear your journey. And I, I had a feeling you had you know, taken classical workshops and mm-hmm. uh, because I see your work and it has this beautiful, it, it like transports me back to a different time, you know, so mm-hmm. it makes sense that you have studied in these kind, kind of rigorous academic uh, traditional programs. And so, yeah. yeah, I just appreciate you sharing with us. It's, it's beautiful to learn about. It's inspiring. And as you, as you were speaking, I'm like, oh my gosh, I've got to take another workshop. It's been a few years, you know, since I've taken class or workshop, but I have heard amazing things actually about the Grand Central Atelier. Mm, And I've heard it's very rigorous, but uh, the artists that I know that have gone through that program, their work changed so much after Mm -hmm. the program. It's like incredible to see the difference. So Mm -hmm. you're actually really inspiring me right now to maybe just take a workshop or a class that I've been thinking about. Um, But, but yeah, I, I, so it's, you know, a question that I have for you, and this is something that I ask a lot of artists is how has your work shifted and sort of evolved over the last decade? Were you always kind of painting and drawing in this style? Have you noticed a a big change in your work? Yeah, I I have noticed a lot of changes. Actually, when I was trying to get into the program at Pennsylvania Academy of the Fine Arts, I kept on trying and I actually tried three times to get into that program. I wanted my MFA so I could teach at a college level. And I tried three times to get in like three different years. And um, like every time had to be like a new body of work, which is a lot. The first two times I tried, it was, it was very romantic. It was very, uh, I don't know. I look back at some of my old work and I'm like, oh, that's so like basic. I don't know <laughs> if you feel that way about some of your older work. But they did not accept that. And then the third time that I got in, I went really dark because I got some feedback that um, they thought that my work was like too fluffy. And so um, I went really dark. I painted all men in like dark settings. And it was very like not what you would think about my work. Um, Like I don't have any of it on my website, actually. But it did the trick and it got me in the door. And um And so I went in there and then I kind of like, I kind of went on this journey of like, I don't know exactly what I'm supposed to be doing because the thing that had brought me success, like getting into that program was like actually not really what resonated with what I wanted to do. It was like I had betrayed myself. So 
I struggled in there for a while. It was a really tough first year. And then I met one professor, Scott Noel, and he he really challenged me to like really dive deep into like the romantic, the feminine, the super realistic. He's like, if you want to do that, you need to commit to that and you need to go like all in. And it really made such a difference. And I remember the moment when he told me that it was like somebody was giving me permission. And from there, I like created all this stuff and it was like a breakthrough. So that's kind of like when I dove into my style and I really found kind of what I wanted to go towards, which at the time was very Rococo, very flamboyant, a lot of nature, a lot of like beautiful dresses and just very romantic kind of atmosphere but also some storytelling that goes deeper within. Now, since then, I've, I do feel like my work has evolved, especially the last two years. I think that it has now, it's evolved into more of like a spiritual, it has a more spiritual bent to it. So like I started looking at um, artists like Hilma Afklint and um, some other artists that I are very, very interesting from the turn of the century, like around 1910 to 1930 before um, abstraction, but they were doing things with abstraction before, before it was known, but they were using all these very interesting spiritual practices to, to create artwork. And I think it's absolutely fascinating. And so now I've incorporated like meditation into like my practice. And I do find that my work has changed, um, especially this past summer. I could really see it because I did a lot of work this past summer during my residency. There's a lot more of like a central, a central object or figure, a lot of more sinuous or central. It's just different when you look at it from my older work to now. I feel like my older work was all about the surface and then the newer work is about something deeper, like trying to transcend the medium. Absolutely. And I think that's really powerful. And I think it actually takes time to get mm-hmm. to that deeper place in our practice. Mm-hmm. And it's a big revelation I've had recently where I'm like, the best work that I create comes from the deepest part of myself. And it might sound kind of obvious, but it actually took me a while to to not just know that in a, on a conceptual level, but to really understand that and feel that and be able to channel that into my work. Mm-hmm. And so when you were talking about how you look back at your older work and it feels very surface, I can really relate to that. You know, And I think that's very normal too. When we start out in our art career and we're kind of learning different techniques and we're just trying things and we're thinking about what fits and what feels right and, and what resonates with us. And it takes time to allow that process to kind of unfold organically. So it's a beautiful thing that you've arrived at that place. And I can really feel that from your work. You know, as you're speaking, I'm envisioning your beautiful paintings and I can really, really feel what you're describing. So I also want to talk a little bit about, you know, just speaking about your art career. I know that you've participated in residencies. I know that you've had shows and you've had a lot of success, you know, mm-hmm. with selling your work, with exhibiting your work. How did you arrive at that level of success, you know, of where you're at now with really increasing visibility for your work, mm-hmm. expanding your collector base? Like what strategies, what things have been helpful for you? And what advice might you give to artists who are earlier on in their career and who have similar goals as you? It is a two-part question. Number one, I think is like how basically how do you get started? How do you get people interested? How do you enhance visibility? And then number two, how do you build your collector base? 
Well, it's not like a simple answer, but I will, (laughs) (laughs) I can just share like what has worked for me. Yeah. So as far as getting visibility and getting started, I remember being like when I was just graduated and I was like, now what, now what happens? Like, is the gag going to knock on my door and then like, just take care of me for the rest of my life? Like, I can't really bank on that. And do I really want that? And I think that I just started trying things. Like I, I started trying, I started applying to so many different shows. And I also, I got a job as a adjunct professor. Um, it was just one day a week, but that helped. Yeah, I I went online and I just applied for like a ton of different exhibitions. The other thing that I did was I started going to art shows and meeting people and just showing up like because people like to work with people. Actually, one of the solo shows that I had like right out of school was a gallery that had popped up in Philadelphia and I really liked the vibe. So I I started going to their shows. And then also, and then one day I stopped in when there was no opening, the gallery owner was there and we just got to talking and he basically asked me to bring in some of my work. And he was like, yeah, I'm just, I'd love, love to see it. But it came from my intention of trying to spread my work out there. One thing that motivated me was that a lot of professors in art school, and I think this is like so sad, they basically tell you to not lean on your art for an income. And they're like, you, you, you shouldn't, you know, rely on that. I had, I even had one professor tell me like, you have to marry rich. Oh my goodness. That's (laughs) Um, terrible. I know it's, it's really terrible. But when people tell me that I can't do something, like sometimes it just lights a fire in me that says like, oh no, I'm going to do this. And you know, you can't stop me. So I was very serious in wanting to support myself basically and prove to myself that I could do this. So I basically took every opportunity that I, that I could. And, you know, you learn like some opportunities I wouldn't do twice, but you learn and you go to exhibitions and you kind of get the lay of the land and you kind of see where you would like to be in the art world and where you fit in now and where you see yourself. And I just took every opportunity that I could. The second part is how do you enhance your collector base and how do you make an income from those opportunities? Um, For me, the most important thing has been cultivating relationships with my collectors. For me, that means an email list is like the number one thing because you can write like a personal email to your 100 collectors and just like update them on what you're working on how you're feeling in your studio, like keeping them updated helps keep you top of mind for them and helps keep that interest there, that personal interest. And then also doing things like uh, sending them gifts for the holidays, hosting like private collector's dinners at my houses. These are things I don't post online, but I just like hand select people who have bought a lot and who I feel safe to invite into my house you know, I, I host beautiful events for them. And this creates this like exclusive, really fun, beautiful club of people who like appreciate your art and are loyal to you and they want to support you. And then they meet other people who also support you. And it's like a social proof thing. 
it's it's a really amazing strategy, I think. And I've actually never heard of anybody doing it before, except for maybe Ashley Longshore. I was just going to say, um, <laughs> it's so funny. We had that thought at the exact same moment. <laughs> She's the only other artist that I've, uh, I listened to a podcast with her a couple of years ago and she was describing, I think it was like some, the team at Anthropology that had, you know, a pretty a lot of control over the creative direction of anthropology. I, I think, I don't want to misspeak, but it was something like that. And she invited them into her apartment and she said she lived in this tiny little apartment at the time, but she made it as beautiful as she could. She bought fresh flowers. She made food for them. Hmm. And it's like, it's. I actually love this because it is about creating a special experience for your collectors. And I think it's rooted in this belief that if you invest in people, they are going to invest in you in return, yeah. mm-hmm. you know, and you, and by hosting these dinners at your house and just making it this really special and exclusive and beautiful thing, you're showing that you're taking the time and the care mm-hmm. to intentionally, you know, invest in them and create this beautiful atmosphere. So I love that. And I think that's such mm-hmm. an awesome strategy. And I speak at length about email marketing. I'm so passionate about it. I actually think it's really fun. I know some people find it really boring, but I think it's so important. Yeah, it's fun. And it's also just a necessity. So thank you for sharing that. And that kind of brings me to my next question, which is how did the Visionary Artist Salon come to be? Because I believe that's where you kind of work with artists and you help them to level up their art careers. So can you tell us a little bit about that? Sure. Um, I started the Visionary Artist Salon in 2020. Uh, So in 2020, during the pandemic, I, uh, I began, I had the idea for the Visionary Artist Salon, which would be a place where, um, Many contemporary realists, although it doesn't have to be contemporary realists, artists can um, can come and discuss what they're working on, some of their ideas, um, and then where I would also host workshops and I would host classes and I would do private coaching for artists. And it's it's been really, really rewarding and so wonderful to work with so many artists. I mostly work with female artists. I do work with, I have worked with two male artists, but the vast majority are female um, that I work with. And I basically help artists to get to the point where they feel really good about their art career and they feel really good about themselves. And then they also are making money from their art career. So There's a couple different layers to it. Um, There's a lot of inner work that I work on people with people facilitating like, you know, different exercises. And um, we talk about different things that might be holding them back because you can give somebody all the strategies in the world. And if they have a belief that it's never going to work for them, then they're they're never going to take the action or they're going to self-sabotage it, which is which is why a lot of my work is about uncovering what are your underlying beliefs about yourself and your art career. Um, Because we always strive to fulfill our beliefs about ourselves. Like our actions start to align with our beliefs naturally, and they become self-fulfilling prophecies. So if we actually change and elevate our beliefs about ourselves and our beliefs about our art and our beliefs about like what is actually possible for us in the world and, and in the art career, then 
you're going to start looking for ways where you can reach that and start actually believing that you can reach it. Absolutely. I think it's it's beautiful to hear you talk about it because it is so, so true. And, and it's similar when I work with artists too. I mean, everyone wants the practical skills. You know, how do I increase visibility? How do I expand my collector base? How do I get my work out into the world more? And, and those, it's important, right? Like those are important questions for us to ask as artists. And you've got to know the practical side of things. But you said it so well when you said, um, you know, the practical skills that you learn are actually not going to be effective unless you are in a place mentally where you can really implement them. And a lot of that comes down to your belief in yourself mm-hmm. and the trust that you have in your in yourself. And I think I've been really leaning into trust lately. It's actually my word of the year. When we trust ourselves and we trust that things are going to work out for us, then we feel safer to take these leaps of faith in mm-hmm. life, in our business, in our art careers. Mm-hmm. And when we start to doubt our own capabilities, you know, that's when those practical skills don't even matter anymore because we, if we're doubting ourselves and, and we're, if we're in a state of kind of questioning mm-hmm. what we're capable of and if things are really going to work out, mm-hmm. then we can't really get to the next level. And it does require somewhat of a leap of faith. So I think that's really powerful that that's what you work on mm-hmm. uh, with your clients and, and with the artists that you mentor. Um, and I, I wanted to ask you because... I know that for me, working with artists in either a one-to-one capacity or in a group program over the past few years has actually really impacted me on a personal level. And I think it's helped me to grow so much. So I have a similar question for you. Like, how has the work that you've done and continue to do for the Visionary Artist Salon impacted you personally, creatively, and just in all the ways, really? Well, the first thing that comes to mind is that it's very like personally fulfilling because I feel like I'm making a positive difference in people's lives. And it actually feels like it's like fulfilling some kind of mission that I have on this earth. So there is that. Yeah. I feel like that's like the main thing um, is that it just, it just feels so good to be like helping artists. And I I just remember like how lost I felt and how I struggled, like when I got right out of art school and So I created this course um, because I was noticing as I was doing like the one-on-one sessions that I was, I was going through a lot of the same things. I was like teaching a lot of the same things. And I was like, I should put this in like a course and just, you know, sell the course and also the sessions alongside the course. Um, So that's what I did last, last year. I created this course called the Luminary Artist Academy. It's for artists, especially female artists who they want to be a luminary in their field. And it's basically everything that I know about being an artist. I really put so much of my heart and soul into it. It's called the Luminary Artist Academy, and it goes through um, 12 different modules. It's meant to be a six month course. It's extremely dense, has video trainings and like over 200 workbook pages it's meant to help propel you into your dream artist career. So that's been really great. And I've gotten amazing feedback from that, from the people who have taken it so far. I'm actually relaunching it soon. It should be next month. Yeah, it's going to be, it's going to be awesome. That's great. Well, we will definitely be sure to, you know, get your information in the show notes. So if anyone listening is interested in, in working with you, and I know it would be an amazing experience, but 
It's incredible. I think that when you are, you know, developing your own art practice and also helping others to develop their art practices and their art careers, it's like this beautiful kind of harmonious balance. Mm -hmm. And so Mm -hmm. it's wonderful to hear that you're kind of doing both together. Yeah. And so tell us about your work as a curator. I'm so interested. I, I, I heard about Era Contemporary when I first met you virtually a couple of years ago, mm-hmm. we've never met in person yet, but we are going to make it happen. Um, and I was just so taken back by the whole premise of Era Contemporary and your vision for it and how you've executed it. So tell us all the things about your <laughs> work as a curator. Well, I started Era Contemporary in 2016. I, I was working in a department store at the time as a makeup artist and the manager knew I was an artist and he, he let me actually set my art up one day as like a, a way to engage customers. And I was like, this is so cool. And then I was like, can I do it again? He's like, well, we want to switch it up. So would you be able to get some other artists involved? And so I was like, wait, yes, this is a great idea. I know so many artists. So, um, so it was just like one little table And I had like five different artists just like submit one piece. And, um, and so we, we like set up a table there, but then I was like, my neurons were firing and I was like, this, this could be really cool. I could curate shows. Like, why have I never thought of this before? Yeah. Eric Contemporary now, um, there's about two shows a year and, uh, one of them is typically like a group show and one of them is a solo show. And, I curate these different themed shows and partner with different companies um, or venues that want to gain more exposure for themselves because I bring a crowd, you know? Um, So right now our biggest partner is um, the Tyler Arboretum. They've been hosting a lot of our shows and they have such a gorgeous, gorgeous place. Um, And it's been really wonderful. Our last show, the legends of the moon um, actually was sent to the, the moon with the lunar codex. And so that was really cool. Um, there were over 20 artists in that show and it was, it was a really, really wonderful exhibition, very well attended. And I always try to have like different things going on at the art show as well. Like we had astronomers there, um, where you could look at the moon outside, like on the telescope. And, uh, we had fire pits and we had, um, lots of like really yummy food. And yeah, we had, we had a harpist as well, but I forget that. And some other like interesting things. So I, I always wanted there to be more to do than just look at the art. I wanted there to be like something like a, like a wonderland of things that you could explore. And so that was our last show. And that happened in December. It was really wonderful. We are planning one for this fall, Right now, the working title is Titania's Ball. So it should be pretty exciting. That's amazing. And I've seen photos of the Tyler, um, is it Arboretum? Mm -hmm. Uh, Yeah, and and it's absolutely gorgeous. And uh, did you have a solo show there as well? I feel like I saw. Yeah. Yeah, that's amazing. I think it's beautiful when you find a company or a partner or whoever it is that really believes in your vision as well. And they're just like totally on board and it ends up being this amazing partnership because it's like mutually beneficial, you know, to both of you. Yeah. It's been really great because they're, they're so close to where I am right now and they're able to market it to their people and get more engagement with 
their gardens. So, and yeah. And I love gardens. I mean, like, Oh yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's, and that's so your vibe, too, yeah. you know, exactly. Um, I had a question. How, how do you connect with the artists who are featured in your um, ex- exhibits for Eric Contemporary? Do you do open calls? Do you sort of yeah. hand select artists? What's the process for that? The process is I do do open calls for all the group shows I've done open calls. Um, and I also sometimes reach out to artists who I would really like to work with, but most of the work is found through open calls um, or referrals. Like like an artist will write to me and be like, this is my friend. And I really think that her work would be an amazing addition to the show or something like that. Cause it's like right along those lines. So it happens very organically, but artists who are interested can definitely like send their work in. And yeah, I've been getting a lot of submissions lately and it's been really wonderful because the quality has just been so incredible. And that's something I've been thinking about too. I don't like as a fellow, like entrepreneur, um, you think about like the next level of where you want to go. And sometimes I get overwhelmed. It's like, okay, if I'm going to start representing these artists who are like, their work is really amazing and very expensive. Okay. So I'm going to have to look into like insurance and like shipping, um, by like an art handler. And it just gets a little bit like overwhelming. Um, but you know, growth is good and you get to a new level of professionalism. You have to deal with these things. So it just goes with the territory. Absolutely. And and it's actually really helpful to hear you speak on that because, you know, as I mentioned, we are gearing up for our first in-person yes, show in so Manhattan. Yeah, I'm so excited. It will be in Tribeca in April, but these are all things that I'm just starting to think about too, like shipping work out to collectors, you know, if they're not able to to pick it up and kind of take it home there. A lot of logistical things, but I think you do grow through the, through these processes. And anytime you're faced with something that feels so uncertain to you, again, it just goes back to this idea, like the logistics will work themselves out. I just have to have total faith and trust in myself Mm -hmm. that like I can and will figure this out because sometimes it can feel super daunting, but I think if we actually approach things in like a step-by-step way, we realize that we can pretty much accomplish anything. It's just a matter of like breaking it down into manageable, (laughs) manageable steps. Exactly. Um, And I just wanted to say, so your word of the year is trust. And I have a word of the year um, and it's reinvention. Oh my gosh. I love that. Okay. I have not heard that one. I've Mm -hmm. heard so many words of the year uh, with friends that, you know, do this and artists that I work with that do this, but I love reinvention. And so, okay. What made you choose that word? I was specifically thinking about my work. I had a lot of deadlines, like artistic deadlines last year and financial deadlines. And so I was making work that I was proud of, but I know in my heart that I can do better. And so I know that my best works are still inside of me. And so um, I really wanted to focus on this idea of like quality over quantity this year and just really making works that are like amazing. Because I read, I read this book, I think it's called um, Peak Performance. And it's about basically how quality in like art it's basically like you don't do 10 subpar works and it equals one great work. Like you do one great work 
and it's one great work. You know what I mean? And that one great work will take you further than these 10 works that you're just like trying to sell for a buck. You know what I'm talking about? A hundred percent. Like it's so funny actually that you're talking about this because I've had a similar sort of revelation with my own work lately where I'm like, even if I just create a handful of paintings this year or less, Mm -hmm. if they are really like from my heart and I'm so proud of them and I just feel like I gave them my absolute all, that's so much stronger and more powerful and more impactful Mm -hmm. than creating subpar works for the sake of feeling like I need to create. And I actually love that you brought this up because one thing I often share with artists is, and I'm sure you do too, because it's all rooted in the same philosophy, which is that your work is not, you know, your value is not contingent on how many uh, artworks you create. Mm-hmm. Um, it's really the quality of the work. Yeah. And it even makes me think of um, one of my favorite musicians, Nick Drake. I've been really getting into his music and his story in the past couple of years, but he passed so young and he only released a few albums but and he's really only known for a few songs, mm-hmm. but they're so incredibly written and put together and just lyrically so beautiful and powerful. And so that's his legacy. I mean, he, you know, he I think he was like in his mid-20s when he passed. And so that's all he created in his life. And yet he's known today as this incredible musician because of the the quality of the work that he made. And so I think it's a really relevant topic. And yeah, I, I just, I couldn't agree with you more on that. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm thinking of Vermeer. Um, Vermeer only made 60 pieces in his entire life. Wow. Okay. I didn't know that. Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh. And so it, it, it really is about the quality of, and what you're putting into your work. Yeah. I, I feel like with that, more opportunities will open up and different kinds of opportunities will open up because we all want to get to that next level. There's always going to be another mountain. As Miley Cyrus <laughs> No, always. It's so true. And I think it's just, it also comes down to, you know, what we were sort of discussing before being really, really intentional mm-hmm. with your approach and what you're creating. And, you know, I think something you do so well is you kind of curate everything beautifully. The way that I see you put your artwork out there on social media, it always feels very intentional. Like you didn't rush, like you really spent time mm-hmm. writing that message or creating that painting. It's like, uh, I always get this sense when I look at your work, it's kind of like a little bit of a slowing down. Oh, thank you. Which it, it's actually really refreshing because we live in such a fast paced, mm-hmm. you know, world and social media is so fast. And I think a lot of artists feel like they have to just be pumping out work and churning out work. There's something to be said for having a really consistent studio practice where you are, mm-hmm. you know, creating a lot. And And I don't always think that's a negative thing, but it's like, it shouldn't, that shouldn't happen because you feel pressure to do it. That should happen because you're, you want to do it and it feels right for you. So I think your work and everything you're sharing with us today is, is just such a beautiful and powerful reminder of things that we need to keep in mind to, to propel our art careers forward. Thank you so much, Victoria. I appreciate that. You're so welcome. Well, I want to thank you so much for joining us today. And it is such a pleasure to meet with you again and to chat with you, to learn more about you. Mm-hmm. I cannot wait to finally meet you in person. We've got to make it happen this year. Absolutely. Definitely. I can't wait either. I know. I'm so excited for that. So let us know where can our viewer or our listeners rather, uh, where can they learn more about you? I'll include it in the show notes too. 
for my own art. It's just jessicalibor.com if you're looking on a web browser. And if you're looking on Instagram, I'm at Jessica Libor Studio. I'm usually pretty active on there. For the Visionary Artist Salon, if you're listening, you are an artist. Um, you can go to thevisionaryartistsalon.com and you can see everything there. I am giving a free two-day workshop coming up on reinvention for artists. So anybody who like vibes with that, um, you should totally, totally join. I'm just going to be doing like, uh, yeah, it's a two-day workshop and it's free. Uh, so all the details for that are going to be on thevisionaryartistsalon.com. So you can just go there to sign up. Also, that's on Instagram, The Visionary Artist Salon. And Era Contemporary is eracontemporary.com. That's also on Instagram, just Era Contemporary. Amazing. Well, I will be sure to include all of your links in the show notes. And thank you again, Jessica. Always a pleasure. And thank you, everyone, for tuning in today. Thank you for tuning in and supporting our platform. To learn more about New Visionary Magazine, head over to visionaryartcollective.com slash magazine. You can order individual copies on Amazon or subscribe annually to digital issues. We also have opportunities to get featured in the magazine, so be sure to join our newsletter and follow us on Instagram. If you enjoyed this episode, please feel free to leave a review on iTunes or tag us on Instagram. Thanks again, and we'll see you next time.